Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. All right, well, good morning again. Uh, so this morning, jumping right into it, we are talking about mercy uh, as one of the things we're, we're chatting about this morning. And uh, it came to my mind just walking up here. Um, this, on Friday, my, my family and me, we went out uh, downhill skiing. And we're, we're not a family that can do that. Uh, we pretty much only do that when we're given the opportunity to like go for free. And it's, that the reason is because we're that bad. We're just really not good. Um, and I was up on this hill and... Um, I, okay, we were on the bunny hills for a lot, and then we took the, the ski lift. I'm like, guys, this is a green hill. It's going to be easy for us. And I <laughs> come around the corner after we get off the lift. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> Immediately, I'm like, this is, this is a bad situation. And so I'm trying to go down really slow because I'm like, I don't, my kids are going to die or something. And as I'm going slow, like, I fall, and my skis come off. And I'm trying to get the ski back on, and I'm not good at this stuff. And I'm on the side of the hill, and I'm trying to get it on. One of the workers came down and helped me, you guys. And it was the most embarrassing moment of my life. This guy's like, well, you don't know what you're doing here. And I'm just sitting here like, just give me a little mercy. Don't laugh at me. Don't, don't whatever. Just give me a little mercy. But mercy is, is one of the things we're talking about today, and it's, it's a little different than grace. Mercy and grace, they're, they're very similar, but they're a little bit different. What exactly is mercy? It's, it's not getting what we deserve. That worker could have laughed his head off at me, but he was actually really, really nice to me in the moment. I felt good about that. Grace is a little different. It's the undeserved giving of favor. So, mercy, not getting what we deserve. It's a withholding of punishment. Grace is the giving of undeserved favor. Most of you probably have experienced at some point in time uh, when you're grown up, getting into a fight with a sibling or something, and, and you're crying out for mercy. You know, sometimes we would say uncle. I think that comes from an old Irish word, anacol, which means, like, surrender, give up, or, or protection, safety. Um, my, my youngest daughter, uh, not my youngest daughter, my second youngest daughter, Sadie, she is the one that wishes that she had a brother. Um, she's got three sisters, and she can't go and, and beat on them, and so she beats on me. And there's times where she'll get, she gets such a strong hold on me that I'm the one crying out for mercy. And then there's other times where just to get her off me, I get her in like this hold, and my wife is like, stop it! And I'm like, she's got to cry mercy. She's got to tap out. Got to do it. Um, but mercy is, we're, we're asking people to give us something that we don't deserve. We're asking them to, to not give us the punishment that, that they definitely could give us. You think about a Dallas Cowboy fan last week, all right? You Packers, you beat them badly. It was awful. But I've been in the situation, as a Viking fan growing up all my life, I've been in the situation around you Packer fans after a big win. It's not fun. Uh, there was a Dallas Cowboy fan that's on our staff at church, and he comes in on Tuesday morning to staff meeting, and I, I felt awful for him. Now, to his credit, he wore his Dallas stuff, but immediately all the Packer fans were like, how about them Cowboys? <sighs> You guys are so mean. Just saying, okay? Now, I do feel bad for you because I know last night was a, was a hard one to lose. Uh, again, as a Viking fan, I've been there, okay? Um, but felt for you last night. Not too much, okay, but I did feel for you. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't lie while I'm in the pulpit. Uh, I remember one time where uh, I was a girls' basketball coach in high school, and I remember one game 
just praying that the other coach would start to give our team a little mercy. Uh, we were down, getting down pretty big in the first half. I was, I didn't have my junior starting point guard. We, we had to bring up a girl, this, and this was in a regional game in the playoffs. We had to bring up a freshman girl to play point guard, and things just got ugly right from the start. And this team was pressing us full court. They were making it awful. By the end of the first half, we were down 41 to 3. Yeah, that's not a good score in basketball. It's not even a good score in football. And I'm just thinking, man, could you give us a little mercy? I wasn't asking for grace. I wasn't saying, hey, just give us the ball. I was thinking, could you just give us a little mercy? Finally, at least when it came out for the second half, they took off the press and, and that mercy helped us a little bit. But they could have just kept on punishing us that whole game. Just wanting some mercy. So why are we talking about mercy this morning? Really, it's because it's one of the three things that Jesus talks about in the part of the Beatitudes that we're looking at today. We're continuing this series in the Beatitudes, uh, and we've looked at four things already, uh, four Beatitudes. We're looking at three more today. These are statements essentially where Jesus is telling us the right attitudes that we are supposed to live by. Um, Some of them are difficult to hear. They're not easy. And if we do these things... Jesus says we'll be blessed, and we've talked about it each week. That doesn't necessarily mean happy. Uh, it, it looks a little different than a happy life. Really what it is, he's saying you'll be blessed in the sense that God will, God will approve of your actions. God will approve of what you're doing, and that's going to be good for you. These are attitudes that will put us emotionally, spiritually, and relationally in the healthiest places that we could be. And so, like I said, we've, we've covered four of them so far. I'm going to review those for you real quick. Jesus says we're going to be blessed if we do the following. Number one was depend fully on God for all things. Number two, truly regret your mistakes. Try to grow from them. Three, submit to God fully without resisting him. And then fourth was desperately long to live a holy life. Now, all those things are tough. It's not something that we can do all the time. And the same thing is going to be with these three Beatitudes today. Today we're talking about showing mercy, having a pure heart, being a peacemaker. Also, like I said last week, man, we could have done, we had done a sermon on each of the Beatitudes. And the same thing today. These are all, there's a lot in each of these, but we're going to just kind of take them fairly quickly. Um, and so we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 7, going through verse 9. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. One of the things that I think we need to keep in mind, we're, we're in the book of Matthew, and whenever we're reading the book of Matthew, one thing that Matthew likes to do is he likes to write to remind Jewish people that Jesus is for everybody. He's for all the Gentiles. He's, he wants everybody to have a chance to get to know who he is. And so as he's writing his gospel, his story about Jesus, he highlights things that will, that will bring them to the conclusion that the good news is for everybody. And that's particularly important when we're reading this first beatitude today. Uh, this one is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Why is that important when we're looking at mercy? Well, if you put yourself in the shoes of a religious leader back in Jesus' day, they didn't like the idea of hearing about mercy. They didn't, they didn't think that everybody deserved mercy like Jesus is talking about here. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, not good at showing mercy. They saw themselves as right by God in all the ways that they did everything, and they looked pretty much just looked down on other people most of the time. 
And a lot of times it's the most religious people who often tend to have the most difficult time showing mercy to those who they don't see as religious. I'll be honest with you, that was a huge problem for me growing up. I was, I was kind of, maybe, maybe you could say I was your typical pastor's kid where uh, I didn't grow up in a house where there wasn't alcohol and there wasn't different stuff going on. And so if I saw somebody swearing or drinking alcohol or smoking a cigarette, like I thought they were just awful. I dreamt twice in my life that I smoked a cigarette in my dream and I woke up thinking, oh no, I'm going to hell. Like that's how, like I was just like, oh no, that's, I'm such a bad person. And about five minutes later, I'm like, oh wait, I didn't smoke. Great. But that's, I would just judge people all the time. Lived in judgment. But how many times when I would judge people were the people that I was judging showing me a better heart than I was showing them? Showing mercy is often hardest for the strictest rule followers. And growing up, that was me. Some of you that know me as an adult, you're like, I don't think Kellen's much, that much of a rule follower. He says a lot of dumb stuff. Especially for a pastor. I get it. I agree. Uh, I'm probably less of a rule follower than I used to be when I was growing up. But man, growing up, I was such a rule follower. And it, it caused me to struggle to know how to give mercy to other people. And here's the ugly thing about not showing mercy. Not showing mercy is an inability to forgive others and let them off the hook for no reason at all. But maybe at its worst... Not showing mercy is, is you saying to yourself and saying to the people around you, I would never do that thing that you just did. I would never sink to the depth that you just sank. That's what not showing mercy to people is. And the way that life plays out, life is really, really funny. Because the way that life plays out is when we start acting like that, like I would never do that. A lot of the times, that's the things that you end up struggling with. Or you do things that are even worse. And I'll be honest with you, you watch pastors who have had major struggles where, where something came out in the open. A lot of times they were, they were preaching against those things harder than they preached against anything else. And then they wound up struggling with it. When we don't show mercy, man, we open ourselves up to, to messing up in some ways that we probably have been preaching against. And Jesus actually talks about this in a story in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, one of his disciples, Peter, comes to him and says, hey, how many times are we supposed to forgive? Like seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, 77 times. And he's essentially saying it doesn't matter how many times, you just keep on forgiving. But then he told a story about a servant who went to a king one day. And, and this king, uh, king actually was trying to settle all of his debts, get, get people who owed him money to give him the money that he was owed. And so he brings in this servant who... The Bible says that he owed so much money. And actually, if you put it in an equivalency to today's money, it actually would be something like $10 billion. Uh, an amount that nobody outside of like Elon Musk could pay. Right? And so he brings this guy in, this servant who owes $10 billion or whatever it is. And, and this servant starts begging like crazy. Like, I'm, I'll be able to pay it. I'm gonna, I'll pay it. I'll promise you I'll pay it. The king knew that he wasn't going to be able to pay it. And so while this servant was begging, he forgave him. He just forgave his debt. And then Jesus says that the moment that this servant walked out the door, he went out and in the street he found somebody who owed him about $3,000. And he went to that person and he's like, you've got to pay me back that money. And I love how Jesus puts it. He says, the servant started strangling him and doing all kinds of stuff to him. Like, you're going to give me that money. And then he threw him in jail because he couldn't pay him. And then this went back to the king. All these people were like, dude, that servant that you forgave, 
he's crazy. And he's like not forgiving somebody for a little bit of money. So king brings him back in. He's like, what, were you, what are you thinking? I forgave you so much. Matthew 18, 32, he says, I canceled all the debts of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now, what is the point of the story Jesus is trying to tell here? A lot of it's be careful about putting people under such strict rules that you think they're supposed to follow to where you won't have mercy on them when they don't follow the rules. Because at some point, you have broken the same kind of rules. At some point, you've needed mercy from Jesus, just like that person needs mercy from you. Jesus, later on in the Sermon on the Mount that we're in, the, the Beatitudes are in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been told by Jesus. Later on in that sermon, he said that the same way that you judge other people, it's the same way that you're going to be judged as well. If you give mercy to people, God's going to give mercy to you. If you don't give mercy to people, God's not going to give mercy to you. Now, that, that's something that we, we hear that and we're like, oh no, I've not given mercy before. I'm in trouble. Hold back. Just bring it back a little bit here. We all struggle. We all struggle at times where we don't give mercy. We're all going to fail in that area at some point. But what Jesus really is talking about here is he's talking about that person by habit is unwilling to show mercy. There are going to be times where you're going <laughs> to, with your spouse or your kids or people at work, you're going to struggle to show mercy. That's a human thing. That's part of our sin problem. What Jesus is preaching about is the, are not, not being those people who by habit you just have an inability to show mercy. And now maybe you're, you're right now, you're going, oh, that, that kind of sounds like me sometimes. Okay, well, you, you have a step that you can make today, all right? Asking Jesus to help you to have it in your heart to show some mercy. I love what Paul David Tripp says about this. He says, it's very clear that no one gives grace better than a person who is deeply convinced of his own need of it and who is cogently aware of the grace he has been given and is being given. He's saying nobody gives grace and mercy better than the person who actually realizes that they absolutely need grace and mercy. That's the problem with the religious leaders, the Pharisees in the, in the New Testament. They didn't think they needed mercy or grace because they thought that they followed all the rules so perfectly. But they didn't. Mercy is not just about letting somebody off the hook. It's actually also about letting you off the train of bitterness towards other people. When I don't show mercy towards somebody, I am just, I'm getting stuck in this rut of bitterness towards them. And it gets uglier and uglier and uglier the longer that I don't give that mercy out. It doesn't feel good. I love what uh, Dane Ortland says. He writes in a book called Gentle and Lowly. He says, nowhere else in the Bible is God described as rich in anything. The only thing he is called rich in is mercy. That's a pretty interesting thing to read. That God is rich in mercy. That is the thing that we hear about it that he's rich in. He wants to give us mercy. But my question is, have you ever experienced mercy to the point where it has penetrated your heart? This guy that was in Matthew chapter 18, this servant that went before the king and he was, he was given mercy. He, he didn't have to pay this big debt. He saw what mercy looked like, but somehow it didn't penetrate his heart. And so when he went out into the street, he wasn't able to give that same kind of mercy that he was given himself. 
there are a lot of us, a lot of people who say they follow Jesus, who I think we've witnessed mercy, we've seen what mercy looks like, but still for some reason it hasn't penetrated our hearts. It hasn't become the thing that, oh, I, I was given such a great mercy that now I'm going to go and give that same kind of mercy. If it has penetrated our hearts, mercy is the thing that we should be willingly giving out to people around us. Have you really experienced the mercy of Jesus yourself if you're not merciful yourself? If you don't respond to people with mercy, the people in your life, that's like telling people that everything you say about God's forgiveness is just a complete fabrication. What we do in terms of showing people mercy tells people a lot about what we think about the gospel, about who Jesus actually is. I think one of the greatest ways that you and I can show somebody the character of God is to show them mercy in the moment where we could show them some punishment. Show them mercy in that moment. In that moment where, where you're thinking, man, I could punish you so bad, but I'm going to choose not to. That speaks to people. That mercy where you have an open door to show somebody who Jesus is. This could have been an awesome time for this unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. He could have gone out into that street and he could have found that, that person who owed him $3,000. And the moment that he grabbed him by, by, the, by the coat, that person would have been like, oh no, I, this guy's going to be mad at me. And he could have said to him, you know what? I know you owe me money, but I forgive you. I give you mercy. Go ahead. Just live your life. What would that have spoken to that person in that moment? That person would have been, why are you doing this? Why are you giving me this mercy right now? I don't understand it. And he could have said, you know what? I've got a king who is much bigger than I and much better than I am. Who has forgiven me of so much more than what I'm forgiving you. He's better than me. Same thing in your life. When you've got that moment where you could show somebody some real punishment. But instead you grab them and you say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I don't need whatever I could ask from you. Just go. Everything's fine. And they're going to say, why are you giving me mercy in this moment? You can say, you know what? I've got mercy from a king who is so much better than me, who has so much more mercy to give than I have to give. That speaks to people. That, that says something to people. But a lot of times we go the other route with that person at work and, we, and we're just, we're so bitter. And we just hold on to it. Letting go of that bitterness, giving mercy, it shows the character of Jesus. All right, so that's beatitude of mercy. Let's get to this next beatitude. This one says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, the pure in heart, uh, it means those who have moral integrity. Uh, those who are honest. They place nothing in the place of God. Pure in heart. I think all these beatitudes can, can scare us if we're not careful. But I'm going to be honest with you. This is the one that I read this, and I'm like, oh, no. Pure in heart. Like, that's just not a definition of who I am. There's a guy named Charles Quarles. Every time I quote him, I just love to say the name Charles Quarles a couple times. Because it's a really cool name. But he says this about this, this beatitude. He says, purity in heart is not a qualification for salvation. It's a result of salvation. It's not a qualification for salvation. In other words, you don't have to get to where you are pure in heart so that now Jesus can save you. Purity in heart is a result of that salvation that God gives to us. 
comes back to the same idea that we just had with mercy. If you know that you have been shown mercy, why aren't you going to show mercy yourself? Same thing here. If God has changed your life and, and this pure, loving God has changed you, don't you want to become a little bit more like Jesus? A pure heart does not give us salvation, but God's saving work in our lives will lead us towards a pure heart. See, I think who we are behind closed doors, it actually is important. We live in a culture where I think a lot of culture says it doesn't really matter who you are behind closed doors. Be whoever you want to be. I think that is a great lie from Satan. It's not right. What's stored up in your heart is important. You see, Jesus didn't just come into this world simply because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. We need to get over that idea that, that he just came to kind of change some of our bad habits. He came to fix what is broken, which is us. He came to fix our broken hearts. He came to bring purity to our hearts that we can't bring to ourselves. What's really important about this beatitude is that it shows us part of the reason why we feel so far from God so much of the time. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Think about the times where you feel like you're far from God. I, you know, being a youth pastor so many years, so many times I hear kids after, you know, two months after they go to church camp or youth convention, oh, I just, I feel like I'm so far from God ever since I was at camp. Yeah, well, because you felt God's presence there and now you've gone away from it a little bit. All that purity of your heart stuff, you've walked away from it. Because you know what Jesus is saying here, the pure in heart, they will see God. The more that I'm living in character the way that God wants me to live, I see God. You wonder why you've got moments in your life where, where you feel like God is so far from you. It's because when we are living in impure kind of ways, when our character is not what God calls it to be, all of a sudden, the image of God starts to get just kind of blurred. We don't see him like we normally would. It feels good to us when we are living our lives right. We know when we're living right. And it feels good. When our hearts are in good place, easier to see God. But when our hearts go wrong, it simply becomes harder for us to see God. Question is, is God walking away from us? No. What happens is so much of the time, as we let purity go away, we begin to walk away from God a little bit. We don't seek after a pure heart to make God happy with us. We do it because that's the state that we most easily see and know God better. You know, one of the lies that Satan's going to constantly try to tell every single one of us is, you are so bad and you are so impure that Jesus doesn't even want to have a relationship with you. That's a way of him just kind of pushing us towards that impure lifestyle, that, that lifestyle that's away from God's character. Well, you can't be good enough anyhow, so why even try? Why even bother? But I'm telling you, when we go to Jesus and we ask him to give us his pure kind of character and his pure kind of lifestyle, Something happens. The good news is that Jesus actually went to the homes of the worst of the sinners. We think, man, Jesus, he not, I've been too bad lately. He's not going to like want to be around me. Whatever. Jesus literally went to the home of the tax collectors and the worst sinners of all. That's where he spent his time. He wants to spend his time with us when we're in our worst places. Living an impure life never disqualifies you from being reconciled to Jesus. That is, a, that is a lie that the enemy is going to constantly try to bombard you with. If you've been trying to live a, pure, a more pure kind of life 
and it's been going the wrong direction, um, just doesn't seem to be working, we have to come to the understanding that this is something that we cannot do on our own. You can try hard every single day to get up and I'm a, man, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live really good today. My character's gonna be best it's ever been. Well, you already messed up because you're getting cocky, right? No matter what we do, we're gonna mess up some, at some point. We need God to help us. We don't naturally have pure motives. We must ask God for the, to grace us with the motives that are born out of his character and not our character. You know, people say that this thing all the time and it drives me nuts. Just follow your heart. Can I tell you, don't follow your heart most of the time because it's not good. Like, that is probably the worst kind of advice that, that we're getting in our culture now. Like, oh, just follow your heart. Lead where, where, where your heart is leading you. Our hearts are bad. It says it in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Don't follow your heart. Because so much of the time, your heart begins to walk a different path than what Jesus would have you to walk. We have one hope for a pure heart, and that, that hope is Jesus. It's literally the only hope we have for a pure heart. All right, so we talked about mercy. We talked about a pure heart. Got to get to the third one. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. I got to say, this is one of the things that I have loved about my wife, Crystal, uh, since we even started dating. Um, I'd watch her with her family, and it's like she just, she's always felt like she's kind of the glue in her immediate family. It doesn't mean that she's needed all the time to be a peacemaker or anything like that, but she's just kind of one of those glue people. And she's like that in, in our family that now we are raising. She's just, she's a peacemaker, and she makes life around her better to be around. It's the, one of the things I love most about her. There is something about peacemakers. They make life more peaceful. Go figure, right? Peacemakers are, are good to be around. In a world full of aggression and competitive angst, people like me, we need peacemakers. But you know, it's, what I hate about this passage is it's saying that I'm supposed to be that too. Every single one of us are called to adopt Jesus' character, which his character is the character of a peacemaker. You see, peacemaking, peacemaking is the work of, of bringing together and reconciling two alienating parties. Taking two enemies and bringing them into relationship with one another when they weren't in relationship before. Reconciliation might be the most important aspect of who God is. As it's the very reason why he sent Jesus into the world. To reconcile us to God. He also wants us to reconcile to others. You and I are called to bring reconciliation to others. And what's interesting is Jesus says the peacemakers will be called sons and daughters of God. Why? It's because peacemaking is who God is. He sent Jesus into this world to make peace between you and me. And so when we become peacemakers, we also now, we've taken on that character of Jesus. We become sons and daughters of God. What Jesus is saying is pretty simple. Make peace with people. It's not that complicated. But too many of us, we live a lot of our lives where we are inviting drama in all the time. We're not, we're not finding ways to, to get over relationship arguments. We're, we're bickering and we've got jealousy and all these things. This is not even close to godly living. I, you know, again, I've been around teenagers a lot of my life. And it, one of the saddest things for me is to watch 
high school kids who cannot seem to get along with other kids. And you'll be talking to them, and every time you talk to them, you're like, yeah, so-and-so, they've been so mean to me, and, and we're just, we're fighting all the time. And I'm like, hmm, interesting, because you were fighting with other so-and-so last week. And they come back this week. Yeah, me and so-and-so, we're just been in a fight. They're so mean. I just don't know why I'm always around these people who are so mean. Hmm. There's a common denominator, right? There is a common denominator so much of the time in people who are around drama. If we are people that are constantly in drama, in relationship, argument, bickering, all this stuff, at some point we have to ask ourselves, Am I not being the peacemaker I'm called to be? If you're finding yourself constantly in the middle of relationship drama, it might be time to begin asking God to help you be the peacemaker in your relationships rather than adding to the divisiveness. We are a divided group of people in this world today. We all know it. Our nation, we're going into another election cycle. We all know it. There's a lot of divisiveness. There, there's a lot of disagreement. But we are called to be peacemakers. It doesn't mean we have to agree with people. But we don't have to be drama-filled, argumentative people. How does a person spread peace? Pretty much in all the ways that we've been talking through in these three Beatitudes. They show mercy and they forgive. That ends quarreling before it even, even can begin. They have a pure heart. You know, selfless motives are actually really hard for people to fight against. And maybe most importantly, they're, they're peacemakers. Somebody who does not argue when they are legitimately wronged. Can I just say, you are going to come against times where you are legitimately wronged in this world. The thing that's so frustrating right now is we are living in a time where people literally think it's cool to see yourself as a victim to where when you are legitimately wronged, you can just take out everybody. That emotionally you can just hurt and hurt and hurt others because you yourself were legitimately wronged. But can I say that that is not the attitude that Jesus took. Jesus was legitimately wronged. He went to a cross and he took on my sin on himself. He died because of my sin. Jesus could have said, okay, this, this is not what I deserve. I'm I'm not going this way. He could have chosen the way of something other than the peacemaker. But what the peacemaker Jesus did was he said, you know what? I'm going to take on that sin. I'm going to take it on myself. And I'm going to bring peace between Kellen and God. Because I can do it. I'm going to bring peace between every single person in this room and God. Because I can do it. And sometimes we have to become the peacemaker who says, you know what, I'm going to legitimately take a wrong on myself so that I can bring peace with somebody else. Because if I can bring peace between me and them, maybe it's going to open the door for, for God to have peace between that person. Today's passage is full of wisdom. And it's telling us a lot about the character of Jesus throughout this passage. Jesus says you're going to be blessed if you do the following. Be forgiving and compassionate with others because you realize that you yourself are not perfect. Show undeserved mercy towards others. Two, be honest and moral because a pure heart stays close to Jesus. And then three, make peace with other people rather than making drama and fighting. What we find in these verses is we find Jesus. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is pure in heart. Jesus is our great peacemaker. 
maybe one of these attitudes is one that today you're kind of thinking through and you're like, that, that's one that, that I, I need God to, to work on my heart about. We've been talking about this the last three weeks as we've been going through this series on the Beatitudes, that there is a next step that each and every one of us has to take. All the time, there's a next step that we have to take. And the next step really is to fully engage with Jesus a little more than we were coming in here today. How are you going to fully engage with Jesus so that your life begins to take on the same attitudes and behaviors and that, that Jesus had? We've been talking through this at the end of every sermon here, but maybe your next step is to surrender your heart over to Jesus. You've never committed your life to Jesus. You've never said, okay, I, I accept that you died on a cross for me to give me mercy and grace. Maybe that's your next step today. Maybe your next step is we're going to go out uh, into the lobby after service here, and there are booths all over uh, showing you the different areas at church here where you could serve. Maybe your next step is to actually serve somewhere at church. That God's just saying, you know, I just want, I just want you to have an opportunity to get to know more people, to, have, to build some community, but also serve while you're doing it. That's an opportunity to, to figure out what that might look like. Maybe the next step is, like we've talked about, uh, reading your Bible a little bit every day, praying a little bit every day, going to a small group. Or maybe it has something to do with what we talked about today. Maybe your next step is, you know you've been holding on to a grudge. That one person in your life, you've just been holding on to a grudge. And it's time to say, okay, God, I need you to help me let go of that grudge. I need you to help me give mercy to this person. It might be a family member. It might be somebody from 20 years ago. Maybe your next step is to ask God to give you a pure heart. You know this week, you've been, you think about your heart and you're like, man, it was ugly and brutal this week. My heart wasn't where it was supposed to be. You're not going to walk out of this room and all of a sudden just by decision become pure hearted. But you can take a next step and say, okay, God, I, I acknowledge my heart hasn't been where it's supposed to be. Can you get me there a little bit closer? Or maybe the, the next step for you is you realize that maybe you enjoy fighting and brokenness in relationships a little too much. You enjoy the drama a little too much and you need to, to ask God to help you be the peacemaker for once. I don't know what, what might be kind of getting at your heart right now, but I think God has an attitude change for every single one of us. We can't make it on our own. We've got to ask him for help. And so that's our next step today. What is, what is the place that you're going to ask God to help you out? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.